Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. About six weeks ago, Karen and I were flying to Buffalo. We were going to cross the Niagara River on the Peace Bridge, go into Ontario where we have family. And, and so we had this great flight set up. We we're flying from St. Louis to Detroit, short hop, and then an even shorter hop from Detroit to Buffalo. Great. Well, the morning we were leaving, we got a notification that the, the flight from St. Louis to Detroit was delayed 12 hours. In other words, that's an equipment issue. They didn't have a plane. But they had to put something in there, so they put 12 hours, which meant we were not going to catch the flight from Detroit to Buffalo. So I got on the phone, called the carrier, with whom I have a little status because I fly so much, and they took care of it, and, and so we rearranged the flight, and instead of going from St. Louis to Detroit to Buffalo, now we're going from St. Louis to Atlanta to Buffalo. It's always fun to, to fly south when you're going north. So we got on the plane, and we flew to Atlanta, and we, we got off the plane, and we changed gates. We went to the gate of the, the flight going to Buffalo, and we got on the plane, and we pushed away from the gate early, which was great because of the, the, the change in flights. We now had a little bit of a time crunch. I had a deadline in my head for when I wanted us to be in Canada, and now we were right up against it. So I was thrilled that we were getting out early, and we're taxiing out to the runway, and we were number 47 in line for takeoff. And if you've been to Atlanta, that's a slight exaggeration. And as we're taxiing, all of a sudden we pulled off and went into this little parking area, and I said, uh-oh, and Karen, ever the green light, said, no, the line just goes this way. And we sat there 10 minutes, 15 minutes. The pilot came on and said, we have a little issue. We have to go back to the gate. It's not a big deal, but we do need maintenance to sign off. So we went back to the gate, didn't pull all the way up to the gate, stayed out in the tarmac, away from the gate, sat there for about 15 minutes. The pilot came on and said, we got to go to a different gate. So we trundled to a different gate, actually pulled up to the gate. The jetway came and attached itself. The maintenance guy got on, and you can always recognize the maintenance guys. They wear bright vests, and they carry a clipboard, and they take their time. And the pilot came on and said, we got to reboot a system. Not a problem. This is all going to be fine. 15 minutes tops. 45 minutes later, the pilot came on and said, well, that all worked out fine, but we've been on the ground so long, now we need a new flight plan. 15 minutes tops. 
Well, 45 minutes later, he came on and said, well, we got the new flight plan, but we've been on the ground so long, we drank all the water. We have to restock the water 15 minutes tops. 30 minutes later, we pushed away from the gate, got back in line. By this time, we're up to number 42 in line. And you know, that's the nice thing about St. Louis. You're always number one in line. Because there is no line. If you're on the plane, that's the line. And so we took off. We landed in Buffalo. Three and a half hours late. But you know what the kicker is, folks? You know what the kicker is? Because we pushed away from the gate early, they could claim that as an on-time departure, inflating their statistics. 85% of our flights leave on time. Three and a half hours late, 150 grumpy customers, but an on-time departure. Sometimes when you're right, you're wrong. Like the guy in the carpool lane, and I don't think we have carpool lanes in St. Louis, do we? You know, HOV lanes where there got to be two people in the car. And this guy was in the HOV lane, the carpool lane, and the cop pulled him over and said, you can't be in here, you're, you're, you're by yourself. And the guy pointed to the back seat. And in the back seat was his kid's inflatable pool. And all he said was, car. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you know, let me tell you this, you better get used to it. <laughs> in today's gospel which serves as the text for our message. The, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? It's the wrong question. They were wanting to know how they could be right when they were wrong. And actually, you know what? They didn't really care if it was lawful or not. That's not why they were asking the question. They were asking the question to set Jesus up. They were in Herod's jurisdiction. And remember John the Baptist? Lost his head because he said Herod's divorce and marriage of Herodias was unlawful and the Pharisees were hoping the same thing would happen to Jesus because they wanted him gone. They were church people. And the one thing church people do not like is having their traditions challenged. And that's what Jesus did. So they asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then they sat back and waited, hoping he'd get in trouble. And if they would have had tape recorders in the day, they'd have been on and shoved in his face. And Jesus took that question and he stretched it out and he went deeper than they ever intended. And he said, well, what did Moses say? And they said, well, Moses said a man could give, uh, write a certificate of divorce to his wife. And Jesus said, yeah, that, that's right. But it's wrong. Read Deuteronomy 24 sometime. Let me tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. Because there it says that if a man dislikes his wife, he can write a certificate of divorce. And it doesn't go the other way. Now, what that means is, if a man gets up on the wrong side of the bed and his toast gets burned, he can fill out a form, hand it to his wife, she becomes his ex-wife, and goes on her way. Now, ironically, that was designed to protect the women. 
Because in a patriarchal society like Israel, women had no rights whatsoever. So a certificate at least gave her some privileges. It was an enlightened approach. And Jesus said, yeah, it's lawful. It's lawful because you're sinful. It's lawful because women need to be protected from their husbands. It's lawful, but this is not what God intended. It's lawful, but it's wrong. I love today's first reading from Genesis 2. It's the second creation account. In the first creation account, Genesis 1, God says, Let there be, and there was, powerful God. Genesis 2, God is a little more intimately involved, and he scoops together some dust, and he breathes into it. So which account is the right one? Which one's the correct one? The answer is yes. And in Genesis 2, Adam has finished naming all the animals, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the livestock. He has given a name to all of them. Camel. Antelope. Have I used hippopotamus? And after this daunting task, no no helper was found that was suitable for Adam, and so God caused the sleep to fall upon Adam, took a rib, shaped a woman, put the woman in front of Adam, right where he would see her when he woke up. Then he woke up Adam and said, Well, Adam took one look and said, and this is a rough paraphrase of the Hebrew, he said, Whoa. You know that line, at last? This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That phrase, at last, is actually, whoa. And remember, he's been looking at aardvarks and that kind of stuff, you know. And they became one flesh. Their dance was so in step, so in sync, so entwined, you could not tell where one of them left off and the other began. And they had differences, and they were aware of those differences, but to them they were simply unique aspects of their oneness. It wasn't until sin entered the world that they were embarrassed by their differences and covered up. See, that's the question that the Pharisees should have asked. How do we recover the dance within marriage? Not... How do we get rid of this person and feel okay about it? And you know what, folks? It's not about divorce. It's about what God intended. See, I know all kinds of marriages that have not ended in divorce where the partners are so out of sync that they step on each other's toes or one of them is doing the waltz while the other's doing the hokey pokey in a whole different room. And marriages that are out of sync are not what God intended either whether they end in divorce or not, eh? And, see, that's, that's why the Pharisees asked the wrong question. That's why they didn't understand it. And let's move the conversation away from marriage. See, here's what's going on. We keep trying to be right. We want to find a way to justify ourselves when we're wrong. We want to find the minimum requirement for being within the will of God when God has created us for a maximum life. We want to take the dance and reduce it to a two-step approach to approval. Scripture is filled with illustrations of that. How many times do I need to forgive my brother? How many times? And Peter said, seven? But what's behind the question? What's behind the question? 
At what point can I withhold forgiveness? At what point can I slap this guy down and treat him like he deserves to be treated? And Peter threw this number way out there, seven. Boy, for us, that's a huge amount. In our parlance, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Seven? And Jesus stretched that thing until it snapped. Seventy times seven, which means forgiveness was so organic that every time is the first time, and it doesn't keep count. Oh, that's what we were created for. And who is my brother? To whom do I owe some kind of social obligation? You hear what's behind that question? Who can I ignore? Who can I just kind of turn my back on? And Jesus stretched it out. Your mortal enemy, the guy whose values are totally opposite of yours, the guy trying to do you in, the guy who would just as soon annihilate you, that's your neighbor. Those are the feet to be washed. And what about giving? What's my fair share? How much do I need to give in order to feel like I've done my part? And Jesus stretched it out. The woman with her two mites, she threw him into the temple treasury. Clang, clang. And Jesus said, that's giving. Everything. And if a man asks you for your shirt, give him your coat. Who does that? That's irresponsible. Maybe he might sell it for drugs. Every now and then, folks, every now and then, we catch a glimpse of who we really are. See, here's, here's really the issue. Here's what's going on. Sin has reduced our living to a shadow of what was intended for us. And we settle for less. And instead of stepping into what God created us to be, instead of measuring ourselves according to that standard that he created us to be, we measure ourselves by the lowest common denominator, which happens to be each other. Well, we're not that bad. I mean, we're the good people. We're the church people. We go to church. We don't hurt anybody. We stand up. We're solid people. If the rest of the world were like us, it would be a great world. You know, I used to hear it all the time when someone would die. And I'd go meet with the family and I would say, well, share with me the faith life of your loved one. And you know what they would say? 90%, 95% of the time. Well, Uncle Joe, he was the salt of the earth. You know, he'd, he'd never, I'd never heard him say a bad word about anybody. He was confirmed years ago. He used to usher until he stopped going to church. You know, really a solid kind of guy. All the things that in the family's mind made him right, wrong every now and then something happens and we see who we really are not in comparison to the people around us but in comparison to what God intended for us to be every now and then something happens and it's like holding up a mirror and we take a good hard look and we're appalled at what we see it happened to me about three weeks ago in Iowa at a hotel and I reacted to something that I never should have reacted to. And I had, to, I had to sit back and go, oh, where'd that come from? 
Well, I know where it came from. From me, sin. Every now and then, we get a glimpse of the stuff we would never want anybody to see, the stuff we keep hidden, the stuff we put up a facade. And you know, when that stuff happens, it opens us to the greatest experience we will ever have. See, ours is a rich, colorful, energetic, kaleidoscopic, vibrant life full of love and joy and peace and wonder and delight, not because we have met the minimum requirements for being right, not because we're nice people compared to others, not because we've checked off boxes for correct behavior, and we'll talk about that more next week with the rich young ruler who did everything right and kept the law and still knew something was missing. We have these large, dancing lives because the love of God has swept us off our feet removed any pretension we might have that we are somehow right and then filled us with the power that comes only from knowing we are loved. And when the Holy Spirit takes that and weaves it into our hearts, it changes everything. It changes the way we view the world. It changes the way we view ourselves. And it certainly changes the way we view each other. So can we just start right there today? this little journey that we're on and who knows how long this is going to last. I don't know you yet. You don't know me yet. But we kind of know each other because you know what? We're more alike than we wish we were. (laughs) Would you just hear this? You've heard it before, but let's just start here. Hear this. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. It doesn't matter if there's something going on in your life that just isn't quite the way you want it to be. Maybe you've got a lump in your spirit. Maybe your soul is limping a bit. Maybe there's some burden you're carrying around. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that is not as it ought to be. Maybe there's a relationship that, that, that shouldn't be. And maybe there's a relationship that's strained. Maybe you've hurt somebody. Maybe somebody has hurt you. Maybe there's somebody, when you see him coming, you go the other way. Maybe there's some guilt in your life, guilt that has metastasized into shame. Maybe there's a sense you're just not good enough. Maybe there is a sense of inadequacy and you cover it up with bravado. There's sometimes things you do of which you're not proud. You ever have thoughts that slither through your mind that you would never want anybody ever to know? Maybe you feel like you've made such a mess of life that God is now on plan F. Would you just hear this today? You are loved. That's the message of the cross. I love that cross. God loved us to this degree, not because we're nice people, 
Not because we've done a pretty good job. Not because we've met the minimum requirements for being saved. But because he is love. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. And you know why that's good news? If it has nothing to do with us, if it's not something that we earn, we can't mess it up. There isn't a person in this room, standing or seated, that could bear up under any kind of scrutiny. But we are loved. You are loved right where you are, just as you are. You are loved. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You are loved. At the, at the end of the gospel today, it, it, there was this episode with the kids. And the kids were kind of being kids. And the disciples were annoyed. They were tired. You know, they had a long day. And now they got these kids. And they sent them away. And Jesus said, uh-uh. Bring them here. This is what the kingdom's about. And then he made this statement. Listen to it well. Unless you receive. Is that a powerful word? Unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you will never enter it. So can we just do that today? Can we receive like a child? And look at the cross and hear the message. And then step into that wondrous life to which we have been called and which is enabled when we're able to say, Jesus loves me this. And when that happens, not only do we have an on-time departure, we fly high and we land early and so be it. Amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ our King. Amen.